house of the Lord tonight. Thank you for being here. Those of you joining us online, God bless you. We are praying for you. Those of you traveling, praying for your safe and soon return. Those of you sick, we're praying for healing. And those of you that haven't been here, we're praying that you come and visit us. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, do want to make mention, it's, uh, I heard a very bad rumor that there's a 50% chance of snow this weekend. Oh, 40 now. Hallelujah. Praise God. Even better. But uh, it, it does bring up something that we announce every year, and that is this. We, we will utilize social media. We will also utilize the Faith Teams app, which sends a text to your phone. If your phone is not registered yet for Faith Teams, please see Pastor Trevor. Would you wave your hand over there, Pastor Trevor, and make sure you're signed in. We've got your correct number. So you can see that. Obviously on our Facebook and Instagram, we will also post there. We will uh, record. We can, we can have the ability to record from our homes to uh, put it out on at least Facebook. Um, but if we do have service and you, for whatever reason, it just, it's bad at your area, the, the, the ice, whatever, that's fine. Make a safe and wise decision. But just text me or Pastor Lucas or one of us. That way we know. And we're not worried that you're out on the highway somewhere uh, trying to make it to church. Is that, that fair? Okay, so if we cancel, you'll know. But if you're not coming because you don't feel safe, just let us know. So that way we're not worried that you're on your way and you might have been stranded somewhere. All right, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our uh, children. I know some are out. And then, of course, our students. God bless them and, of course, our staff that helped. Thank you so much for that. We love and appreciate you. And for everyone else here and those watching, let's turn to the book of Luke, chapter 24. And I'm going to read two verses tonight to lay the foundation for our text and for, of course, for our, the message. Luke 24 and 44, the Bible says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. God did a miracle of uh, bringing comprehension and revelation to them. But notice again, not just the law of Moses and the prophets, but also and the Psalms. Tonight, I'm going to preach on this title and subject, with the help of the Holy Ghost, Jesus' second coming in the Psalms. Jesus' second coming in the Psalms. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this is your church, not mine, not ours. We are just the body of Christ. You and your word alone can save. It is anointed and appointed for this very hour. Lord, I ask you tonight that you would bring clarity, bring uh, wisdom, and bring truth to our hearts. Lead and guide us into all truth. Without you, we're nothing. Let me walk in your spirit and not in my flesh, saying only what you want me to say, nothing more, nothing less. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. Well, we know that the New Testament prophesies the second coming of Jesus. If for no other reason, he's there. The first coming prophecies have been fulfilled. Um, but did you also know the Old Testament prophesies the second coming of Jesus as well as the first? 
In the Old Testament, there are 1,845 references to the return of Jesus. A total of 17 Old Testament books give the second coming prominence in their books. That's 43.6 of the books of the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, of the 260 total chapters, there are 318 references to the second coming. In other words, that's one for every 30 verses in the New Testament. And 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to the second coming. And the four that don't, three of them are literally one chapter books like Philemon and uh, second and third John. The other is Galatians. However, Galatians has some implicit references that connect to others. So if you add that back in, it's 24 out of 27. For the most part, the religious leaders and those who rejected Jesus missed his first coming. The, the Lamb of God walking in flesh, and they missed it. And he questioned who he was. And that was with about 400 prophecies regarding his birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And they missed it. There are eight times more second coming prophecies. In other words, around 3,200 second coming prophecies about his return. So if they missed it with 400, God help us not to miss the time of our visitation with eight times more. Now this month we've been studying the Psalms. And thank you, Pastor Lucas. He's not here tonight due to a work trip. I believe he is tuning in. But he had has taught us, and he's done a great job, but I've enjoyed uh, what he has shared with us. And then he, being gone tonight, asked if I would fill in. And after praying and, and all, I, I felt like, you know, what a way to close this out. And, of course, with the current events that we are facing and dealing with, the questions that are abounding due to Israel and so forth. So, um, but we've been studying these Psalms. And the Psalms are unique. We've, Pastor Lucas has shown you how that they point to to Calvary. They point to the resurrection. They point to uh, Jesus and his life and his birth and so forth. But they also point to his second coming. Tonight, with the help of the Lord, I'm going to hit three points, and I've got 45 minutes left before uh, we typically uh, close up, and so I'm going to do my best to hit these three points. But number one, I'm going to review some of the major psalms that do, in fact, point to the second coming. Um, when I say review, the fact is uh, there are uh, over 30 psalms that specifically and explicitly prophesy the second coming, and there's about a dozen more that implicitly, so it would take a long time to go through all of them. For that, I would uh, you know, mention to you, I've written a nine-volume series. You're welcome to uh, pick it up on Amazon. I've got some copies in my office, You can pick the, or study, you can pick those up. There's also a podcast that I've done that I, I did this a couple seasons ago. Pastor Jeremy was on there with me for a little bit, and we did some information regarding Jesus in the Psalms, the second coming, Revelation, a lot of these things. So there's a plethora of information available. I would also mention that, you know, with, with uh, Pastor Jeremy Cole's, uh, you know, love of the truth and, of course, uh, understanding eschatology, you got questions, talk to him, talk to me. We will help you out any way we can. So a quick review, number one. Number two, I, I feel a God-birthed warning in my spirit that we need to make our calling and election sure, and I'm going to bring that to you. And then number three, a warning to beware of sensationalism 
regarding current events. So that's what we're going to try to do tonight, and with the help of the Holy Ghost, we'll get through it all, okay? Praise God. So here we go. Ready? I will also conclude with some information uh, that is very current as of just in the last 12 to 24 hours regarding Israel and the war um, with Hamas and Hezbollah. I'm not for sure if you are aware, but there's not just a southern, or Gaza is, but there's also a northern uh, issue that's going on too, and that's Hezbollah. And of course, hopefully we'll have a, a season of prayer. The Bible is not a code book. I want to just mention that as we start here. The Bible is not some ancient code. There are some unique uh, variables about the original language that, that exist, but it's not a code book. Um, however, there are clues, and so I use that word carefully. There are clues that can help you to understand the difference between the messianic, that's first coming, you know, Calvary, birth, all that, and the apocalyptic, the second coming prophecies. That's especially helpful when you're reading the Old Testament because a lot of times in the Old Testament, the Psalms, book of Isaiah, other places, you'll have in the same verse elements of the first coming and elements of the second coming in the same exact verse. And if you don't read it carefully and able to read with the discerning, uh, you know, from the Holy Spirit to lead you in truth, you may do what the, what the Jews did and create a single coming where, where all of it is fulfilled. And basically the way the Jews would, would determine is uh, the good stuff, you know, the redemption, the grace, the mercy, the love, uh, the salvation, that's all for the Jews. And then uh, the war and the fire and the destruction, the damnation, that's all for the people that hate the Jews. And he's going to come and do it all at once. They're still looking for the Messiah to that point. So how do we understand? So here's, here's the clue. If the verse is indicating something about destruction and damnation and judgment and fire and the wrath of God. That's not the first coming. That didn't happen in the first coming. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and, and oh, I would that you would have let me bring you in. Uh, he died to save. And even though they rejected him, he saved a remnant of them. The Jews were the first to experience salvation years before the first Gentile ever did. And, and so that means then, if you read uh, a prophecy that has an element of redemption or, or hope or life or new covenant or things of that, that's obviously pointing to the first coming. So that's how you can differentiate between the two. So with that, here we go. Let's deep dive into the Psalms. Psalm chapter 2, if you've got it, open it up. Uh, I want to show you something here. Psalm 2, verses 9 through 12. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. It says here, verse 9, you, being Jesus, you shall break them with a rod of iron. Well, based on what I just told you, we know this is not first coming. I mean, he did fashion a whip and turn over some money-changing tables, but that's not a rod of iron. He didn't dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel, like the rest of the verse says. So we know that's not first coming language. That's second coming language. Verse 10, be wise now, therefore, O you kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled for a but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So you see this 
element of anger and wrath and, and judgment and warning to the kings and the judges and a rod of iron and breaking like pottery into pieces. And yet you see this weird turn of events in verse 12. Oh, and by the way, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Like, what? Well, what the psalmist here is showing us, and we know this is David, we know this from the book of Acts, we, we see what David's doing here is he's showing us that when Jesus comes, it's going to be a rejoicing day for the redeemed. Those who are alive and remain and the dead who are rising in Christ, it's going to be joyous. Luke says it this way, look up for your redemption draws nigh. But those who have rejected him, those who have taken the mark of the beast, the Bible says they're going to be asking for the rocks and the, and the, and the hills to fall down upon them because they can't endure the wrath of the Lamb. So you're kind of seeing that in that verse there. His wrath is kindled against the wicked and blessed are they that trust in him. It's like, it's a weird dichotomy, but when you understand what will happen in that moment when he comes, that's what's going to be happening. Now, remember verse 9, rod of iron dashing in pieces? Verse 10, mentioning of the kings, right? Judges, watch this. Go to Revelation 2 with me. And we'll start at 26. Revelation 2, starting at 26 through 29. Here, Jesus, through John, is speaking to one of the seven churches. Verse 26, chapter 2. He that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he, the he here is Jesus. And he shall, huh, ver, almost verbatim what David said. He shall rule with a rod of iron. As the vessels of potter, they shall be broken to shivers. We see virtually the same exact language. Okay? Even as I have received of my Father, verse 29, I will give him the morning star, 29, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. By the way, just want to insert, insert something here. God would not have given John to say this, or David in Psalm 2, if the church was gone. There would be no need for us to worry about this if, if we're already gone and, and, and out of here. There would be no sense of saying, um, you know, to him that overcomes, verse 26, you know, him that endures to the end. There'd be no need to say that if, if we're not going to be around for that event. Um, it, I, I want to just throw this out, and I want to be careful. I'm not I'm not going to say any names, but I have heard preachers say things like those types of verses you don't need to worry about. I cringe when I hear that. I cringe when I hear preachers say, don't worry about anything after Revelation chapter 4 because the church isn't here. And, and my logical brain says, well, then why is it in our Bibles? I thought all scripture was given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, etc., if that's true, 2 Timothy 3.16, then I think we need chapters 5 through 22. Just, just my guess. I'm not a theologian, but just my guess. Remember judgment, wrath, and anger from Psalm 2, verse 10, 11, and 12? Watch this. Go with me to Revelation 6, verse 12 through 17. I'm taking a little bit of time in Psalm 2. After this, I'm going to speed up. I promise. I'm watching the clock. You know, I wish it was like Joshua right now. Lord, stop the clock. 
stand still. Wouldn't that be nice, Alicia? Y'all, <laughs> I've picked on you enough for that, that now, it, I'm, woo, 13 years it took me. <laughs> All right, so watch this here. Revelation 6, 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, the stars of heaven fell upon the earth, even as a fig tree cast her untimely figs when she's shaken of a mighty wind. The heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. Every mountain, island were moved out of their places. By the way, that is similar to what Jesus is saying in Matthew 24, 29, but I don't want to get sidetracked. Verse 15, here it is. This compares back to Psalm. And the kings of the earth and great men, judges, rich men, chief captains, right? Mighty men, every bondman, every free man hid themselves. This is why David warned them back in Psalm 2. Hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains. Why are they hiding themselves? Because they rejected God. They rejected the truth. They took the mark of the beast. Said to the rocks and mountains, fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? So that one... I don't have time to go through all of them, but I'm going to just hit on a few others just simply to, to share with you how they relate. Uh, open with me quickly to Psalm 18, 6 through 20. I'm not going to show you all the cross-references on this one, but we're just going to look here, and I'm going to just paraphrase. So, okay, Psalm 18, 6 through 20, it starts with David in distress crying to the Lord, God hearing his voice, but notice verse 7, the earth begins to shake and tremble and foundations and hills removed and so forth, right? Verse 8, smoke goes up out of his nostrils, fire out of his mouth, coals were kindled, he bowed the heavens also, they came down, darkness was under his feet, he rode a cherub, they did fly, sounds like he's coming on clouds, right? Made darkness his secret place, verse 11, okay, so on and so forth. Uh, drop on down to uh, 14. He sent his arrows and scattered them. In other words, he's, he's, he's uh, taking care of his enemies. He shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Okay? Channels of waters were seen and foundations were discovered at your Lord. A blast of your breath. In part, David is describing, he's kind of going back and forth. He's describing how God may have created the earth at the beginning. He's also describing how God, Psalm 18 is him describing how God delivered him out of Saul's hands. But he's also implicitly pointing to some apocalyptic language that we know is going to happen when Jesus comes back. Look at verse 20. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. I want to bring this out because here's the hope. You may have sinned. You may have done something wrong. But you know what? There's hope that you can repent because Jesus hasn't come back yet. There's hope because you haven't taken Mark of the Beast. It doesn't exist as far as I know right now. Um, and if it does, it hasn't been enacted uh, and made valid by the Antichrist. So therefore, you, you know, the, the point is, you still have time right now to become righteous by dying to your sin, by repenting, by being baptized, being filled with the Spirit, by repenting, all of those things. And that's what David is showing here. And when God comes, he's going to reward. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats the saved from the damned. I want to make sure I'm in the right number. Amen, amen. Jesus will return. That is a fact. 
that Scripture is replete with. The question is, will you be ready? Will you let him lead you from the slavery of sin into his prosperous peace that passes understanding? In Psalm 68, 6, the psalmist said, God brings, us, brings out those which are bound with chains. It's time to get right with God so we're not left behind. It's time to stop the pettiness. It's time to stop gossiping. And if any of this shoe fits, put it on and repent. Amen. I'm, I'm just saying these general things. Stop hating your brother, sister in Christ. Stop being prejudiced. Stop murdering with your tongue. Stop sowing discord. Stop flirting with worldliness. Jesus is coming for a bride who has made herself ready and will reward accordingly. Meaning, if our works are the sum total of our righteousness, it's going to be like wood, hay, and stubble and destroyed. But if it's His righteousness, it's going to be gold, silver, and precious stone. Uh, there's, a, there's an interesting story in Genesis 31, uh, verse 34, and around there where Rachel has taken the, the idols of her father, hid them in her tent, lied about it, and has stolen them. And it seems, you know, other than the lie and the, and the theft and all this, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal until she dies before seeing Isaac. And Isaac is a type of Christ. And the principle is hidden sin will keep you from seeing Jesus. Jump ahead to Psalm 110, verses 5 and 7. I'm not going to read them, but I'm going to refer to them. But here's what will happen. When Jesus comes, he's going to severely judge those who have rejected him and taken the mark of the beast. And, and these verses I just led you to, Psalm 110, 5, and 7, 5 through 7, present a prophetic picture of, of Armageddon where the Bible says the blood will flow to the horse's bridle. That's about three, maybe four feet deep. And, and in Revelation 14, 20, it tells us how long. It's about 180 miles. If you've ever seen pictures, or I've been to Israel, stood at the Valley of Jezreel, which is also the Valley of Megiddo, which is Armageddon, that's a big valley. And you can see where the 180 miles is going to be, be uh, uh, happen there, excuse me. Isaiah calls it the treading out of the wine press. Revelation also calls it this. And this is what David sees in his prophesying in Psalm 110, 5 through 7. You know, the treading out of the wine press, the grapes, the juice, right? That, that purplish, reddish color. Well, that's the blood. That's, he's going to tread out the wine press at Armageddon uh, as, as, if you will, crushing his enemies. And if you read Psalm 110, verses 1 through 4, that's prophecy that's already been fulfilled. Okay? Here's what's cool. Since we know that that's already been fulfilled, and since God can't lie and every scripture uh, proves true and scripture cannot be broken, then we know 5 through 7 is going to be fulfilled. When Jesus returns after the tribulation, it will be a day of rejoicing for the righteous. But for the wicked, it will be a day of weeping and wailing. When he comes back, he will separate the sheep from the goats. He will separate the wheat from the chaff. Chaff. So make sure your calling and election is indeed sure. Now, these are just a handful. I, I really don't have all the time that it would take me to go into all of them. As I said to you, 
Uh, there are 21 imprecatory psalms. This is that's a big word for, you know, basically those psalms that calls for the destruction of your enemies. But the language they use is apocalyptic. And they, they Im, at least implicitly point to what God will do to his enemies when the wrath of the Lamb takes place. There are nine enthronement psalms. These are the psalms that specify Jesus Christ as King of Kings. Now, while we know the babe born in the manger would be the king, kings don't die for their people. Their people die for them, right? You know, the, uh, uh, you know mythology, right? Legend. So he, he was king, and he is king, but, but it's pointing to the point when he is king over everything. And, and the Bible mentions how that all the kingdoms of the world are his now. He's taken everything and made it his. It's a theocracy. So those nine enthronement psalms specifically are pointing to the second coming. Well, all of you know, and or at least most of you do, that, that I love Christmas music. Um, and I've decided, uh, that I, I passed a law in my own mind that in the Burr months, September, you know, October, November, December, it's legal. And then today I was telling, you know, that to, to you know, Brother Tim, and he said, well, what about January Burr and February? And I'm like, hey, I like that, man. You know, and Barch and, and April Burr and May Burr, you know, it's just played all the time. I love Christmas music, okay? Well, how many of you heard that song, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come, right? Did you know that it was not written about the first coming? Isaac Watts wrote that about the second coming from Psalm 98. Talking about when he comes as king, not as a babe. Anyway, that's what the enthronement psalms are. So that's 30 psalms right there. Not to mention about a dozen more that have verses or other parts of them. So there's a lot of psalms, about a third of them, a little less than a third, that point to the second coming. We must be ready when Jesus comes. Amen? Jesus is coming. Today, uh, I received a report that China is allegedly sending six warships into the Middle East. Russia and Iran have both expressed mutual interests and already fund some of the terrorist organizations that are attacking Israel. The USA has at least three of its uh, ships and have sent troops. I've also received report that some troops are being told to settle affairs at home because they're probably going to get called up. Now, does all this mean that the end is coming? The Bible does mention wars, rumors of wars, and in that context says that the end is not yet. But the Bible also says this in Luke 21, 20, and when, we, when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Could this be that event? I don't know. Whether it is or isn't, here's what is not debatable. If this is the event that Luke 21, 20 is prophesying, and we're about to fast track into the end times, then 
there's at least three other things that are about to happen. Matthew 24, 15, uh, 14 says that the gospel of the kingdom is preached in all the world, and then the end comes. That's happening right now. There are efforts being made to reach every nation, even access challenge nations, even places like North Korea and so forth, where people are being saved, where the gospel is being heard. And, and it's, it's through many, many different um, modes and ways, electronically, uh, et cetera, and so forth. Okay? That's being fulfilled. Um, the other two are found in 2 Thessalonians, where there's a falling away, and that's a falling away from truth, and the revealing of the Antichrist, the person who will be that son of perdition. Let's actually open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, and allow me to read something here for you. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering unto him. So that event is the second coming, the rapture. Would you agree? Okay, all right. Verse 2, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled. In other words, don't be anxious. And then he tells us, ways in which they might have been, and he's telling not to be, neither by spirit, that's emotions, it's lowercase s, nor by word, if someone gets up and preaches or twists the word or writes a book or does a podcast or a reel on Facebook or whatever, or uh, nor by letter as from us. If someone, you know, uh, in his day, you know, wrote a false epistle, a fake epistle and signed it, you know, love Paul. Um, you know, in our day, that's, could be people taking verses out of context or whatever. But don't be troubled by those things. This parallels what Jesus said when he says, Let no man deceive you. Okay? And then notice what Paul says, this is still in verse 2, as that the day of Christ is at hand. In other words, apparently the Thessalonians were believing that the emperor of Rome and Rome itself was the beast system and the Antichrist, and they've either missed it or what's going on, what's happening, and, and apparently people were telling them this, because later Paul says, I've talked to you about this already, I've told you this already, and, and so he's, he's reminding them, hey, don't be troubled by these things. That day is not at hand right now. Then watch what he says in verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means. So he repeats the clarion call to uh, warn against deception. Then he says, for that day shall not come. Well, what day is he referring to? Verse 1. The day when the Lord comes and gathers us to him. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So that's why I said, Matthew 24, 14, the preaching of the gospel everywhere. Here in 2 Thessalonians, a falling away from truth and the Antichrist being revealed. Verse 4 tells us what he does. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he is God, sets in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. By the way, this reference here, uh, this is meaning he's going to not just come to Christians or Jews, but he's going to come to every religion and say, I am the fulfillment of your eschatology. The Muslims have eschatology. The Hindus have eschatology. Eschatology is the belief of the end times. He's going to come and say, I am your Messiah, your, your, your you know, uh, whatever, whatever they call that 
person, I am him. So it will be, of course, the, the, the Christian God, Jesus. It will be Yahweh, Jehovah for the Jews. He will be that fulfillment. He will say, I'm the Messiah. Some debate and argue that this means a temple will have to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Now, an argument for that would be, of course, if you tell a Jew that this man is the, the Mahdi, they're like, well, we don't believe in Islam anyway, so that doesn't matter to them. If you tell them it's Jesus, they don't believe in Jesus as the, as the Messiah, so they're not going to believe that. Uh, if you tell them, they're, uh, I think the Hindus call it the fifth something, they don't believe in Hinduism. But if a man came and said, I am, you know, the Messiah, the anointed one that Daniel prophesied about, that Moses, you know, all and so forth. If, he, if they say that, that's going to get the Jews, you know, you know, worked up. So since the fact that the two witnesses spend their three and a half years testifying in Jerusalem, then it's probable that a temple would be rebuilt. I'm not saying it has to be. I, I, I kind of go back and forth, but I can see where it's, it's, it's highly probable the temple will be rebuilt. I'm not saying that to say don't worry about what's going on right now. Okay? Because we all know with construction, things could be thrown up pretty quick. And so if a temple has to be rebuilt in order for all this to be fulfilled, it could be done, you know, in the next few months and, and be ready. Okay? So my point is, though, and this is leading up to my, my third point. I'm kind of getting them mixed together here, and that's okay. But sometimes we get so tanked up over sensationalism. You know, and, and, and we have to be careful that these things don't get us, uh, you know, looking beyond Scripture or, or scared. The Bible's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Bible's also given us a lot of clarity of how these events are going to unfold. It's, it's a matter of trusting God. And, and let me just say this, God help us if we let something like this scare us to pray, to fast, to commit. Well, what happens if tomorrow it's all over? What if it's tomorrow if China goes home and the USA goes home and Hamas says we're sorry and releases all the hostages and it's all over? Are, are we going to stop praying? Are we going to stop fasting? Are we going to stop committing? And so we can't be moved by this, this fear-mongering that seems to go on. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Here's what you can do, okay? I, I want to reiterate. If these events are pointing or if they're not, here's what you can and must do. First, make sure you're born again. If you're here tonight and you haven't repented of your sins, been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, been baptized in Jesus' name, remedy that ASAP. We've got robes and towels. We can baptize you tonight. The water is nice and warm. Brother Michael takes care of it. it it's, it's purified, qualified, you know, and, and, and it's Jesus-fied. Hallelujah. So I'm telling you, you will feel something in, in the spirit, S, lowercase s, and capital S when you are baptized. Amen. But remedy that if you're not, okay? Second, fall in love with the truth. One of those things is going to be a falling away. That is people that have walked this path, loved this path, preached this path, lived this path, and fall away from it. So fall in love with the truth. And don't let yourself become deceived. 
Now, if there is a pre-tribulation rapture, let me, let me just pause here for a minute and say this. I, I, since about 2002, God revealed this all to me. I've been preaching it ever since. And, uh, you know, you know, Pastor Jeremy, of course, preaches and teaches this way. The other pastoral team members do as well. If we're wrong, and there is, and, and the post-trib is wrong, okay? That's a big if, and I don't think we are. And we all get to heaven, okay? Brother Sal, you might come find me by the crystal sea and say, you were wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say? <laughs> yes, I was, but I'm here. <laughs> I mean, whoo, big deal. I made it. it was, I probably wasn't the only thing I was wrong about. Right? Here's my fear. If those who are preaching a pre-trib adamantly, as in you don't have to worry about Revelation, you don't have to worry about all this, we're not going to be here. My fear is, if these things all begin to happen like the Bible says they will, will they not go to that pastor and say, well, you lied. You told me we wouldn't have to worry about this. Why are we seeing this happen? What else was you wrong about? And that could precipitate the falling away. And so fall in love with the truth. You've heard me say it this way from this pulpit many times. Don't take my word for it. Take his. And that goes for every pastor in this room and every person that stands in this pulpit. If they don't preach what's in the Bible, question them like the Bereans did. Get a love for the truth like the Bereans did. Search the scriptures daily for yourself like the Bereans did. Come and talk to me. I will not beat you up for asking a question. I promise. Because if I'm wrong, I want to know the truth. This is not a dictatorship. Christ is the head of this church, not Myron. This ain't my corporation or kingdom or castle. <laughs> He's the head of the church. His word is the final authority. Does that make sense? So, if the pre-tribute... If there is a pre-tribulation rapture, then what I'm about to read to you, I don't think Peter would have given to us. Let's go to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. All right. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. By the way, if there's any tarrying that the Lord is doing... I think it's because of this verse right here. Because he wants as many people saved as possible. And if this event turns out to just be something that scared us for a few weeks, and got everybody's dander up, it's because he's trying to win more people. It's not his will that any should perish. You know what that means? The people say, why would a loving God send people to hell? That's the wrong question. God doesn't do that. You get to choose your eternal destiny. The right question is, why would anybody choose hell over a loving God? He's not willing any should perish. He doesn't want the pedophile to perish. He doesn't want the murderer and the rapist to perish. He doesn't want the drug addict to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He didn't want those killing him to perish. But that all should come to repentance. The Bible says hell was made for the fallen angels, not for you. 
Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall be pa- uh, will pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Well, that wouldn't be there if, if we're going to be gone. If this is happening and we might experience it, we, we wouldn't need that verse. Verse 12, looking forward, hasting unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements of, shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth. This world is not our home. And he's not going to revive this earth. He's going to make a whole new one and a whole new heaven wherein dwells righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. He mentioned the thief in the night earlier. Paul, and I can't remember if it's in First or Second Thessalonians, but he also talks about the thief in the night. And, and Jesus, by the way, also gives the same um, language. And I think John does in Revelation. But Paul gives clarity to it. He's, we're not of the night. We're of the day. In other words, it will overtake the world as a thief of the night, but not us. And so when you see that there, don't think it means that God's going to surprise you. And you're going to be like, whoa, I didn't know that was coming. No, you're going to know. The righteous are going to know. That's another concept that why would that be there if there is no post-trib, if, 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 we're, if we're gone? Why, why would that have to be there? Anyway, I don't want to digress. I can't tell you with any clarity that the current events are fulfilling prophecy right now. What I can tell you is this. Regardless of that, Jesus is coming. And both in the literal sense of his second coming, but he may also come for us. None of us are promised tomorrow. And I must be ready at a moment's notice that if God calls my number, I'm ready to see him. I'm ready to die in the faith and hear the trumpet and rise to meet him when it happens. You know, I mentioned a few things earlier to stop gossiping all this and for a couple of months now, I've been saying that, you know, don't become so attached to your blue chair that if someone takes it, you get, you know, an attitude about it or your parking space. Well, I heard a testimony of, of one of our dear saints. I won't reveal their name uh, because I didn't get their permission, but, uh, you know, came in and noticed the seat was taken and so went and moved somewhere else. But after the fact, got to meet somebody they hadn't met before and said, I'll never sit in the same place again. I want to meet new people. So turned what could have been a negative thing into a positive thing. Just like this ain't my church, that ain't your seat. I'm just saying, just saying. Jesus is coming. Let's get ready. Don't wait. Let's not live in a state of fear. I'm not preaching this reactionary tonight. Yes, there are current events happening. Yes, I've got my, my hand on the pulse of these things. But... Number one, I've been preaching this since I started preaching. I started preaching when I was 14, and one of my very first messages was about the coming of the Lord. I mentioned to you the podcast we did. You know, how many times have you heard Pastor Jeremy mention it? I've mentioned it. We've, we've done series on it. We, 
I think we had a thing here where we had the chairs up here for a month or something and, and had other questions, but some of them were also related to the, to the end times. My point is this, that we can't be moved by that. We have to be moved by the Spirit. And that leads me to the third point I want to make here tonight. Beware of sensationalism. I read to you in 2 Thessalonians 2, we read through verse 4. I want to open back up to there, 2 Thessalonians 2, but let's read now, beginning at verse 5. This is where I mentioned, I said Paul had said he'd talked to them about this earlier. Verse 5, he says, Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? Sometimes we have to be reminded, don't we? Amen. I'm glad God's merciful with us and reminding us. Amen. Verse 6, And now you know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity, that's another phrase identifying the Antichrist. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Now that's an interesting thing because Paul or John says the same thing in his epistles, that there are Antichrists. So that spirit already exists. That's what he's saying. And it has since Jesus first came. Does that make sense? Okay. By the way, that's why there's a difference in last days and end times. Let me just throw that out here real quick. Um, the Bible tell, tells us in Hebrews that in the last days, he spoke to us by his son. So the minute Jesus starts preaching in Matthew 3, the last days begin. We see that further proven by the fact that when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost three and a half years later, he refers to Joel's prophecy of the outpouring of the Spirit and says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel that in the last days. So the last days have been happening since Jesus started preaching about the kingdom in Matthew 3. So if anybody says, the last days are coming, you can look at them and say, actually, we're in the last days. And we have been since about 26 A.D. I'm not trying to be arrogant with that. I'm just giving a point. The end times is the tribulation. Okay? There are two different scenarios. They're similar but different. Okay. So the mystery of iniquity has been working since Jesus started preaching. There were people trying to stop him there. The devil tried to stop him. Himself, tempting him. Right? The Romans tried to stop it. You know? Twice in the, in the seven churches, the synagogue of Satan, those fake Jews tried to stop it. Right? We're seeing it still yet today. Persecution. That spirit of iniquity already, or mystery of iniquity is already abounding and working. But there will come the Antichrist who will embody that spirit but will be a person. So there's a paradigm and a person. Does that make sense? Okay. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. Now that is some strange written King James language. You're like, huh? Okay, let me explain. The word let means hinder or restrain. The phrase in, in the Greek means only the one restraining just now until it comes out of the midst. What it's saying is something is restraining the Antichrist from happening, from that becoming a person and not just a paradigm. I've heard people say, this is the church. If this is the church, it's the only place that the church is referred to as a he. The church is a bride. And 
no offense to the gender junk going on in our world today, but God ain't confused. The church is a virgin. The ten virgins, right? That's female. A reference to female. Now, I know men can be virgins too, but that was a reference to them. It was, it was the bridesmaids in that wedding party, okay? Making sense? Well, compound that by the false church. It's a harlot, the great whore. You see it in Proverbs. You see the strange woman, the foolish woman, the harlot versus the wise woman versus the Proverbs 31 wife. You see the same contrast. So if this is the church and we're the ones with straight, restraining the Antichrist, it's the only place he calls us a he. Okay. The he here is God. He's the one restraining. Go back to Peter. He's not willing you should perish. When, he, when the time's right, he's going to take his hand off it and say, okay, you move. Here's what's interesting. Remember the story of Job? Right? Satan had to get permission. And even in the permission, God was like, okay. He touches things, but not him. He can touch him, but not his soul. I mean, every, every time there was a parameter, he, he could do something, but not something. He was on a leash. And it'll be the same thing with the end time. He only has 42 months of authority. The Bible says that. He comes down with great wrath, knowing he has but a short time. And he's got a destiny with a lake of fire. The world paints the devil as, as the, the warden in hell. That's not the right picture. Because death and hell are thrown into the lake of fire. He is bound in everlasting chains in the lake of fire and tormented. Am I making sense? I know I'm throwing a lot of information out here. I'm, I'm sorry. So the one restraining him is God. When God decides it's time, Antichrist will be revealed. Okay? And that's what verse 8 says. And then shall that wicked be revealed. But watch this. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. As soon as he takes over, it's almost like, you're done. <laughs> you know, checkmate, out. <laughs> it's over. We shouldn't be afraid of the enemy. Okay, with so much revelation throughout the Holy Scripture, hearing people jokingly speak about eschatology is disheartening to me. I wince when I hear people say, it'll all pan out. Such aloof comments must break God's heart since He revealed His truth for all to read and understand. And perhaps therein is the problem. We're not reading, hearing, and keeping the words of Jesus like Revelation 1 verse 3 says. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because Israel missed the time of a visitation. <sighs> Will it be that way when Jesus returns? He even asked this question. He said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Maybe this lack of faith is why only a few find the narrow way. I hope not. Still, I am concerned with the lack of effort by saints and preachers alike to examine the Word of God and discard heresy. I have stood in this pulpit, and I stood in the pulpit in Caribou and have admitted when I'm wrong. And I, I trust me, I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong. I know I'm confident. I know sometimes that comes across as arrogance. 
I know sometimes some people are afraid to talk to me because they, they, you know, whatever, the persona, I get it. But I, I promise you, if I'm wrong, I'm happy to admit it and say I'm sorry and preach the truth. I am encouraged by this. Daniel prophesies, our favorite verse, Jeremy, that there will be those who know their God and be strong and do exploits and instruct many. And in the next chapter, chapter 12, he says, many shall be made white and purified. And those are right in the middle of the Antichrist doing his junk. We are going to be a thorn in his flesh. So don't be deceived by your spirit, your emotions, by word, by letters. And for those who may wonder, well, how in the world is God going to take care of us? Isn't the mark of the beast going to you know, prohibit buying and selling? It will. But have you ever heard of a story in 1 Kings 17 where God took care of a prophet by feeding him naturally with the brook? feeding him unnaturally by having ravens bring him food. You talk about DoorDash, long before DoorDash, here were the ravens bringing, I'm serious, right? And when the brook dried up, what'd God do? Go to Zarephath, there's a widow. She's getting ready to make her last meal. He prophesies, make it for me first, God will take care of you. Okay, she feeds him. Every time she opened her cupboard, there was enough meal and enough oil to cook another meal. I believe God's going to take care of us supernaturally. Have you heard about the Israelites who walked through the wilderness for 40 years and their shoes never wore out? There was a fire by day and a cloud by night. Or, yeah, fire by night, cloud by day, and, and, you know, manna and quail. Have you heard about a man named Jesus who took a boy's lunch, fed 5,000 men plus women and children, everybody ate till they were full, and then picked up 12 baskets of leftovers? I think God's got it under control in the provision market. Now, real quickly, I know it's 8.02. Let me, let me wrap this up. There was a report, and I, I read that. I want to just bring this out um, to let you know I'm not just burping up my own ideas or ideologies about what's going on. But there was a report that circulated that the Ayatollah had coordinated a four-pronged plan of attack against Israel on the three land borders of Israel. However, Hamas jumped the gun, wanting credit and glory and seeing an opportunity in the Sabbath day attacks a few weeks ago. So because of their arrogant impatience, uh, Israel is now on high alert and has the support of the USA, at least. And while what they did was evil, and innocent people died and some are still in captivity, their pride may have spared Israel worse attacks. So if this report is accurate, it reveals what we already know about the radical uh, Islamic world. They hate Israel and want to annihilate her completely. But we also know through God's word that Israel is the epicenter of the end times, meaning there has to be an Israel. There has to be a Jerusalem. There has to be a Valley of Megiddo for the Bible to come true. So be careful where you get your news. I, I'm real leery of these leftist agenda, news agencies that are uh, expressing how Israel is being disproportionate in its response. What a lot of people aren't hearing or are refusing to post is that Hamas is taking aid and rather than giving it to their citizens, 
is using it for their terrorist activities and using people as human shields. And there was another report that came out today where other jihadists had paid 10000 per um, person captured and were told to target the elderly and the children. So when you hear things like that, be careful not to just jump on the bandwagon. Oh, they're disproportionate. No, they're not. All Israel would have to do is press a couple of buttons and, and Gaza would be a parking lot. And I don't mean to be crude. If they wanted to, they wouldn't have to have one Israeli soldier die. They could hit a few buttons and drop a few bombs and, and carpet bomb Gaza and it's over. But they're not going to do that because there's innocent citizens there. And unlike Hamas attacking innocent citizens who are not military personnel or a military base, they're willing to negotiate. There was, a, there was a plan to negotiate. At least two people have been released. I know that's not a lot compared to all that they took and killed. But they're doing their best to go at this as careful as possible. Uh, I am in touch with um, a member of the IDF. He is a, a major or a colonel. I can't remember which. And also our tour guide that I went with. And I've, I've watched both of them and heard some of their reports, and I'm getting a lot of my news from uh, Christians United for Israel, KUFI, as well as the Epoch Times and some other uh, organizations that are not funded by big money. So I'm also grateful that our president, at least at this point, has sent troops and aid and is willing to do so. And finally today, the, the House finally voted in a, uh, what's that, what they vote in today? Thank you, Speaker which helps in that getting that aid signed off on. But alas, you know, I'm grateful for that. I will say this. Israel has the right to defend herself just like we did when we were attacked on 9-11. Not a single person said we were being disproportionate when we attacked the terrorist organizations that we did or ISIS recently. Let's not do the same to Israel. So what can we do with all these current events? Well, make sure you're born again and living holy. Number two, tell others about Jesus. Use this to talk about God. The word Israel is all through the Bible. Jesus used it. It's in there. If you hear somebody talking about Israel at the job, hey, you know that's in the Bible. Talk to them. Let, let it be an opportunity to witness. Number three, study the Bible for yourself and fall in truth. And number four, don't stop doing this if tomorrow we wake up and the war is over. Let's stand together. I've gone a little bit over time. I'm sorry. Again, please, if you have questions, please, please, please talk to me. Pastor Jeremy, talk to him. Lucas is traveling. He's coming back. Talk to him. Pastor Trevor, talk to him. Um, the Millers, they also have studied this extensively, and, and I know they'll help some of our young people understand, but uh, we can help you. Let's pray together right now. Jesus, Thank you for the opportunity to know your truth. Help us to fall in love with it. Help us, O oh God, to walk in it and to never walk away from it. God, help us to be ready. Ready tonight that if tonight is our night that we're ready. But help us to be ready that if this is leading up to those final uh, years of the, of the tribulation and the end times that we are ready 
to go through it with perseverance and courage and faith and endurance. I pray this. I pray for Israel tonight. I pray, God, they would continue to make wise and good decisions. I pray for the innocent citizens in Gaza that you would protect them. I pray, Lord, that Hamas would, would somehow change their minds about what they're doing and Hezbollah and these other places, God. We ask you, Lord, to give us wisdom in all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen. God bless you. I love you. Thank you for letting me go a few minutes over. <laughs> Overtime, there you go. <laughs>